Well, hello and welcome to the AKA Teacher Podcast. Friends, here we are again. Well, we're going to start talking today about just like navigating tech, bringing tools and resources into our practice that are meaningful, and maybe embracing some of the new technology that's coming our way. And I guess my curiosity for you guys is kind of what are you excited to talk about or what does like what does the landscape look like in your practice right now with technology? What are you using? What are you going with them? Well, I always look forward to learning. So I'm excited to hear from our guest. And, you know, when people are out there like forecasting, pioneering, using things, I love, I love learning about what's out there that's exciting, useful, all that. On the other hand, um, I do kind of really limit technology in my program. You know, when we focus on mental health and well-being, you know, we actually do try to do more hands-on, like I encourage more paper to pencil writing, you know. Uh, so I think right now I'm using it more for like the publishing and presentation aspects. But again, I think it's so intertwined. I don't even realize that I could, I could be telling you like, yeah, we don't use it too much. And then we actually do, you know, because I'm constantly like, mm -hmm. look this up, go figure that out. What's this? What's that? So I think that's where I'm at with it. Yeah, for me, being in, you know, innovation work, I think sometimes you, innovation gets mixed with tech and, yeah. you know, thinking that tech doesn't necessarily mean innovation and innovation doesn't necessarily mean tech. And so separating those out, but also when those do come together, um, the possibilities that are there, I, I think I, are exciting to think about. Um, but it also makes me really nervous when those possibilities are not there and it's just tech because it's flashy. Yeah. Um, it sounds innovative, but we're not actually doing something that's good for kids. So, you know, want to kind of tease that apart and learn like what are the tools, any specific tools out there or processes or mindsets with, with working with tech. Um, I know because for me too, I, another, yeah. go ahead. Well, it needs to be sustainable too. You know, I think sometimes we encounter newer teachers who are showing us some of the new tech or a teacher who went to a training this summer, summer and they're like, we're going to redo every lesson plan and we're going to incorporate this new tech thing. And you're like, slow down. Let's let's do one activity at a time. Let's try it, but we can't. We got to do sustainable work here. We got to go to home at the end of the day. So I'm always. I feel like you, Daniel. Like tech can be is a dangerous game because is it useful? Is it helpful? Or is it just a flashy thing? I get excited about that, those ideas too. Like, oh, show me. Let, let's see what this is. And I think what that brings up another difference is the tech tools that an individual teacher is bringing into their classroom versus the tech tools that have been mandated by a school or even a district. You know, we're using this learning management system all of a sudden. We're, everyone's using this platform. So now everybody's going through the training and it's sort of forced on you. Mm -hmm. And that's what it is from the get-go. It's not about, oh, I found this. I think this would be a great idea and I want to bring this to my practice. And so, you know, are there... You know, are there tools that have come from, for lack of a better phrase, from the top down that have been fantastic um, and implemented really well? I'm kind of laughing because I don't I can't think of very many examples. Um, 
And I, and well, I, I think I think like the I, cell phone has gone full circle because I would say about mm-hmm. five years ago, it was like very much like let's use the phone as a clicker, you know, for like all sorts of clicker review mm-hmm. games or we're going to do a review thing with the phone that now you're just like, yeah, that phone is trash. Can we throw them all in a recycle bin before you come in the room, please? It's doing nothing for you. So you bring up some great professional distinctions, Daniel, that I think are going to be really important to talk about, hear about. But then also the the distinction that I've always felt is that our students use technology for entertainment. Like I literally have used it for work because like email just like came out when I was in college. I didn't use it for entertainment. And I do. And so that was a distinction I noticed in my students where I'm like, they associate technology with entertainment. And I associate it more with work Um, anyway. And so that was like the biggest example to me. And um, yeah, I just think it's a temptation. And yet I'm totally realistic about how we've got to navigate this world and the things that I want people to know and do and understand and be a part of. Uh, So great, great distinctions, though, Daniel, about the assumption that innovation is technology, the difference between choosing technology for yourself versus what's being mandated of you. Joanna, when you were talking, I was thinking about our last episode and the relationships between teachers and admin and how tech can come into play here because it's, you know, maybe it's connected to what you are or aren't doing in your classroom or what your students are or aren't doing or what they are or are not learning. And you pull up the dashboard and that's supposed to show those things. And that can come in teacher evaluation conversations, coaching conversations, and it can affect those relationships. And, and so that's wrapped up in here too. Awesome. If you are a pre-service or early career educator, we'd love to hear your questions. Veteran educators, we'd love to hear from you too. Record a voice memo or type it up and send it to education at pbswisconsin.org. Make sure you put AKA teacher in the subject line. Back to the show. So I think we should bring in another voice to this conversation. Our guest, Kate Van Heren. Um, So Kate is a fourth and fifth grade teacher in the Pittsville School District and a PBS Media Literacy Certified Educator. Kate is also currently pursuing her PhD at Penn State. In addition to her studies, she is also actively involved in state and national councils and advisory groups for curriculum development and educational resources. What's more, Kate is now teaching college students who may pursue careers in education and facilitate opportunities for them to learn about how to find and use new resources in planning for classroom activities. Is that all accurate, Kate? How does that sound? Is that all true? Is this you? Yeah, it'd be great. Can you write my CV for me? Because that was a great summary <laughs> when I'm trying to sum up everything. You just have chat GB, GPT do it these days. I don't, we don't need to do it anymore. <laughs> Although be careful, my uh, college students and I were playing with it the other day, and it is not always accurate. Oh, it will. We've discovered we were having to write summaries from some from some quantitative studies, and it tried to make up answers that it didn't know. So it's, it's not, it's yeah. not full approach. It's gotten math questions wrong. I'm a, yeah, it's, it's not that good yet. 
Um, so, Kate, just to, to start us off, maybe tell us a little bit about where you at right now in terms of, you know, what what tools um, do you, do you use and where are you at with technology in the classroom? I I teach fourth and fifth grade. You know, tech and digital storytelling and all that was on my radar a little bit for nine and ten year olds. I actually found out it's it's kind of alarming in some ways how quickly our kids are online and engaging in social media. Uh, so those are things we need to start engaging our kids with probably younger than most people would think. Uh, because even if, you know, I would argue in my experience, most kids are starting to get cell phones in fifth grade. Mm. Uh, I've had fourth graders that maybe don't have cell phones, but they have devices that can get online on their own very quickly. And in my, in first and second graders, you know, they can pick up an older sibling's phone and they know how to navigate it very easily. Yeah. So we need, whether we kind of like it or not, uh, we have to start engaging elementary kids with these conversations. But I think there's fun and engaging ways we can do it, again, because they don't have the cell phones yet. Uh, we can kind of regulate it a little bit more about what they're exposed to and what they're not exposed to. So hopefully, you know, they'll be a lot more tech savvy and media savvy than their adult than the adults in their lives are. Yeah, I think I actually already see that with my high school students, that they are, they hit this weird, I think, time gap where they have been challenged to be only a consumer of technology. But you do see the younger, upper elementary, maybe even middle school, that does seem to be engaging more into active use with technology because my second grader is already doing the equivalent of PowerPoint presentations and I'm like, oh, this is great. When I ask my high schoolers to do a Google Slides of something, they're still kind of fumbling around with things where I'm like, do you not know how to copy paste a picture, guys? What, what's going on here? We're talking about Google, but I read over the years that it's the number one search engine for, and I'm kind of making this up, I think it's for people under 25, shifted from Google to YouTube. This was maybe a decade ago, and it's, it's oh. shifted now to TikTok is the number one search engine for people under 25. Again, I don't know if that's the exact cutoff. Mm-hmm. And so even there, you know, we're we're saying Google, but maybe that's a reflection of, of just what oh, we use. My gosh. Kind of where where we're at. And it, it sounds like what you're doing is really thinking about like what is developmentally appropriate for a fourth grader, for a fifth grader. And that's been thrown out of whack by COVID. Yeah. That's also, as you're talking, I'm realizing that's been that's changed based on access to technology and information and the changing apps that kids are using and the way they're communicating and interacting and social media. So I'm just curious what that's been like to to pinpoint right now, what is developmentally appropriate for a fourth or fifth grader? I think it's, it's interesting. We like talk about age appropriateness, I think, because so much of that word depends on life experience. But I think with, like with fourth and fifth graders is as teachers, we can kind of take advantage a little bit of what happened during COVID. I think because I know, like kids, I think, I don't know if they're necessarily more savvy, but they're more comfortable using digital tech. And I also think they're more comfortable with it failing or not working the way it's supposed to. And so I think teachers have an opportunity because I would encourage teachers 
obviously, if whatever piece of tech you're using, learn as much about it as you can before you implement it. Uh, but you don't have to know everything. You know, these kids, I, I, you know, I consider myself pretty savvy. Uh, for example, Flip, well, it used to be Flipgrid. It's Flip now, but the kids can record themselves, and which is, it's a great tool uh, for any sort of video recording at any age. But the kids discovered you can do a green screen in the back without having an actual green screen. I had no idea they could do that. And so I had them recording video responses and they all had like really cool pictures in the back. I'm like, well, that's really cool. How did you figure that out? Uh, so the kids could do that on their own. As you all were talking earlier and I was listening, one of you had mentioned that not just using tech because it's the new finagled, fun, exciting thing to use and it looks cool is I think is very important for teachers to understand, you know, like what are your objectives? What are your learning goals? What are you hoping to accomplish? And tech is there to enhance that, not take away from what you're teaching. But I also think there's something important in the process is having it not work the way it's supposed to. And it's okay for a teacher to go in and be like, hey, we're going to try this. Yeah, You know, it may not work. We may end up taking a different tangent than what I originally started, but this is what I want you to learn. Our end result may look different and that's okay. You know, as long as you can kind of get to where the actual learning, what the, what your object, your learning objective is, doesn't kind of, it doesn't really matter what the end tech yeah. result looks like. Where in your process or where do you recommend for somebody in their process in terms of planning, they find or seek technology resources? How do you know when is the right time to bring it in? That's what I think is the idea of, I would say, how does technology enhance this? You know, for example, uh, I can talk about, I do a lot of podcasting with my fourth and fifth graders. Uh, and my podcasting is just to build on basically having them do a report. But all of a sudden, the report isn't called a report anymore. It's called a script. And somehow that mind shift in a 10-year-old's brain is like, oh, I don't have, I'm not writing a report. I'm writing a script. Mm -hmm. And there are so many awesome, I mean, if you have a device that records, you can record audio. Now, are there cool programs out there where you can add sound and, you know, add all sorts of effects? Absolutely, you can do that as a teacher. But even just letting kids record, yes, it may take an extra day or two, but then you're going to have kids much more engaged in it. And once they know how to record, then that's a skill that they can use for other projects too. Yeah, that that makes me think about my second grader's little presentation that she just did on Google Slides because I had told my parents about it. And I was like, it's essentially like a poster presentation, like a research report for a second grader, but it's on the computer. And so it's a great use of technology there that's still getting at the same end goal but has like a fun, engaging twist on it because of the technology opportunity. And then if a teacher even thinks through that a little bit, like what other skills can technology increase? Because I would even argue like reading a script, creating a podcast yeah. is practicing reading fluency. Yeah. yeah. What I like about having kids record themselves is they don't have to do it in front of a class, in front of others where they get nervous by having to read out loud. And they also can keep recording themselves over and over again to an extent. I mean, I've had 10-year-olds who've wanted to do it 30 times. I'm like, no, you get like a half an hour. You know, that's your, that's your time. But they can record it and get an end result that they're happy with. It's not like a one-and-done assessment. Yeah, kind of and I love how you mm -hmm. are bringing up that it's 
it's just opens up the ways to meet those standards. Cause right. ELA is reading, writing, speaking, listening, and that's everything that you're talking about. And, Oh, if we yeah. can open that up, uh, to, to outside of what, you know, we may think it is now, that's what's really exciting me about what you're talking about is like meeting those standards in multiple ways where students are kind of leading that process. And then again, this is their world, right? Like for them to learn all this and know this, it's fascinating. And I think too, like sometimes we want to like, you know, it's the new flashy program that's out there, right? It's a new startup app that has an education thing that we want to use, which is great. Sometimes those work, but I also would encourage the idea of what resources can you use that kids can use over and over and over again. So you're not consistently teaching a new piece of tech or more importantly, probably for the adult teachers, you're not trying to learn a new piece of tech every time. So when you're like designing your tech projects is kind of focus on what did you already teach the kids the last time you tried something like this and use that same recording program or digital storytelling platform that you used uh, because most of them have multiple uses and you can use them for multiple projects. Kate, my question is when I'm thinking about, cause like already I'm like, I should be doing some podcasts with my students. Um, watch out kids starting Monday. Um, but so I'm trying to like think about this, from a the sustainable like kind of uh, aspect of it, what would you give advice for a teacher if they're like, oh, this is going to be if every kid's podcast is six minutes and I have, you know, 10 kids, 100 kids, 50 kids, whatever number, what is your advice for like keeping it sustainable for grading and like assessing these types of things, making sure that you're honoring the kids work, but still not like spending the next six hours listening to podcasts made by 10 year olds. I I think the idea, right, is starting with, you know, that not everything has to be a podcast. Yeah. But, but you know what I'm saying, right? Like just the sustainability of like a media that the kids have made that now you need to look at depending on your age. So my other question would be like, what, what were you using to assess before that? Like if you, was it, were you using an essay? Because were you spending, you know, maybe it would, I would argue probably end up being about the same amount of time. I've seen teachers argue that they're quicker to assess. I don't know. It probably depends on the teacher, but I don't think a podcast, listening to a podcast and writing notes as you're listening to the podcast takes much longer than if you have them write an assessment. That's a good point. That is actually a really good point. It's a good counter. I think that makes it more engaging to everybody else too. So they become better at then providing meaningful feedback to one another than just yeah. all of the feedback coming from you. I like the idea too, because I feel like it has an opportunity to get families involved. What kind of give and take do you have with families when you're doing some of these kind of different tech things? Do you get feedback from them, pushback ever or encouragement? What do you experience with that? I don't want to take away from the writing process because I believe that there's something important about writing and kids need to learn how to write. But in my experience, I found parents are a lot, you know, a lot more engaged when I send out a video project that kids have done as opposed to sending home another paper that they wrote because parents love their kids work. They will read what kids send home, you know, or what teachers send home. But there's something engaging about hearing a kid's voice. 
you know, when you have a kid narrate a, a story that they wrote, their voice comes through. They giggle at the funny parts and there, there's expression. Well, Kate, thank you so much for talking with us about technology, your classroom, your practice. We don't even get a chance very often to talk about elementary age kids. So I think we really enjoyed just hearing you talk about your younger age kids as well. It was really awesome. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed this. We're going to move into the next section, which is called Pass the Mic. And we would love it if you could kind of join us in that conversation as well. Absolutely. Tim from Green Bay says, what is a good policy when it comes to communication with your students outside of the class time? I feel like I have to be available, but I also need some time when I'm not in teacher mode. What do you guys think? Oh, yeah. Well, that's something to think about. Myself, I know I tend to think that I pretty much only really do do school communication during school hours. Yep. Yeah. I think for me, it's like a, a very slippery slope and I've worked very hard to fall into that, that boundary of work and home that I think it's, it's slippery because once you reply to an email one time right. at 7 PM, now kids think you're available at 7 PM. Right. And I've had students show up to my classroom door before the school day has begun, maybe 20 minutes before the school day time, walk with me into the building. Did you get my email last night? I'm like, no, I didn't. Oh, and it's just like, I can't, I cannot put myself in a scenario where I'm always on or else I'm never off and I'm never going to get to recharge. I also think what Tim might be referring to is even during the day, you know, Ooh. it's lunchtime and you know, kids say, can I come to your classroom at lunch? And you say, yes, because you're a teacher and you don't want to say no yes. to kids or you're in your prep period. Right. And you know that there's a student who might need you or you say, you know, oh, I have this time available to a student. And you offer it up and it just comes out of your mouth right before you can yeah. take it back. And they say, oh, yes, that would work for me. And now here you are in your prep period working with students and then you're at lunch working with students, you know, it, it, or even just offering up your classroom space. You're still in teacher mode, even if you're not working with them. You know, yes. but, and then you you leave at the end of the day and you, you're taking a lot of work home or you haven't got those breaks during the day that you need. Um, so I don't know. It's tough. I mean, it's just these personal boundaries. And where do you draw those lines? I think it's different for everybody. And you have to make some mistakes sometimes and say, Oh, I did, I did too much. Yep. <laughs> and, and how can I be more intentional about drawing those lines? Right. Because in Tim's um, question, he does acknowledge that he can't be in teacher mode all the time. So he's aware that there's a distinction, but maybe just looking for advice about how do you really do that? I think to start, it's very clear to communicate that with kids uh, and then, you know, with my younger students, even families, like from the very beginning of the year, say, I stop responding to emails at this time. And then even saying sometimes, unless it's a case of emergency, 
email me again if I don't respond in 24 hours. Yeah. Because yeah. I think that's also a big thing. Even parents want an immediate response. Kids want an immediate response. And you as a teacher are balancing so many things. And that email obviously is not a priority of you at the of the time. So giving yourself leeway and when you respond to those messages now obviously sometimes a parent may respond to you and it's an emergency and something that needs to get taken care of right at that moment that all happens but I would you know even saying I stop responding to emails at this time and I need 24 hours to respond back and I wouldn't even put a that emergency caveat in there yeah. to start with because then parents are gonna be like but this is an emergency I need an immediate response <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. um the field trip money is an emergency Right. So, <laughs> because yeah, it I, also, I think, helps prep parents. Okay, if I need, if I want a response, I have to be on the ball. I can't email them within yeah. half an hour of this field trip go happening or yeah, whatever. Right. I think you bring up a really great point too. Of the, I think I'm going to start doing that. Of the, if it's not an emergency and you don't hear back from me, email me again because I was in a problem solving kind of meeting with a student once who the student was your classic junior underdeveloped, you know, that teacher hates me. And I'm like, why do you think they hate you? And they're like, they never reply to my emails. I was like, well, tell me more about your emails. And like, I ask them, you know, one word sentences or, you know, this is, where is my, when's my test due? And I was like, oh, have you ever thought about, you know, sending an email that just says like, hi, Mr. Smith, I'm wondering if, and then I even told the kids, like, have you ever thought about sending a follow-up email that said, hey, not sure if you got my previous email, but, and then rewrote everything. And the student was like, why would I, why would I send a second email? What? And it's like, I need that second email sometimes. If I, your email gets buried. What do you, th- I mean, all three of us can probably agree. 20 to 50 emails a day. Uh-huh. At least. And so if I get an email in the morning, I might put it in my brain that it's important, but I'd never transferred it onto my planner that I should probably keep. But yeah, I mean, I appreciate it when parents send me the second time or kids send me the second email because I'm like, oh, thank you so much for helping me remember. (sighs) And I would also add even sometimes having those conversations with kids themselves. Like, you know, when you close your door and you need to take that lunch break. It's okay, in my experience, being open with them and be like, hey, I need a break. Yeah. You know, I I need a mental break, you know, and then maybe negotiating or coming up with them at a time that like maybe tomorrow at the next day you can or, or you know, pre-planning a time that you can help them. But I think as teachers, so much we don't want kids to know that we need that, you know, like we, yeah. right, we can't, we have to be superheroes all the time that I found even just telling kids because- that's they all want to hang out in my room at recess and make podcasts. Uh, but there's <laughs> there's days where that's great, and there's days where I'm like, no, I need my time today. I need it. That like, you need to go outside, yeah, mm-hmm. because I need to stare at the wall for ten minutes. Well, that's what and eat my salad mindlessly. I'm also thinking about Tim's question in terms of you know he's asking like when kids want to see me outside of class. And it just makes me think, too, about how important maybe it is to provide within class times to check in with everybody, because that is something I've also found as a high school teacher is that if sometimes if I do put it on their time, then it's actually not that important. And they're not that, you know what 
anything desperate to come by. And so, yeah, thinking of you, Tim, that too, I guess, think about what you what you do have within your class time to check in or have kids feel like they're being heard individually so that maybe so much doesn't have to happen outside of, of class time. Yeah. There is something to me that it just myself feels really important, those boundaries and about doing it within uh, school hours and kind of even within your dedicated time or having like a lot of my students know, Wednesday afternoons is when I have time. So you know what I mean? It's almost like a, yep. those office hour type things that it's like, okay, Wednesday afternoon is when we can talk individually. Are you willing to come in? And suddenly they're like, oh, I guess right. never mind. I don't really care that bad. Exactly. Whereas if you go like on demand. <laughs> or they're like, I can't wait to talk to you on Wednesday. I can wait. <laughs> yeah. So that's what some additional thoughts for me was, was that like, what do you have built in, in time? And then kind of so that you don't have to do this outside of class so much. Well, there we have it. Thank you everyone for tuning in. It felt fantastic to chat it up with our great guest, Kate. Thank you so much for being here. We also invite everybody to visit the AKA Teacher Podcast website to find helpful resources and all of our podcast episodes. Take care out there and we'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.